0: I'm going to be reading from Matthew chapter 25, verse 14. Just before I read that, I don't have it loaded today, um, but I have added a, we've got a page on the Bible, uh, UVersion Bible app. It doesn't do a whole lot, it just uh, really is good for highlighting uh, plans that we might be promoting so you'll find a year-long reading plan if you're, you're game for that. I'm really enjoying it, actually. I started off, it's done by the Bible Project, but we'll be building other shorter-term ones up there as well. If you scan the QR code, you'll see that. Um, my hope is also to get sermon notes into there as well, but ran out of time this week. So, Matthew chapter 25, verse 14. For it is just like a man about to go on a journey... He called his own servants and entrusted his possessions to them. And to one he gave five talents, to another two talents, and to another one talent, uh, depending on each one's ability. Then he went on a journey. Immediately, the man who had received five talents went, put them to work, and earned five more. In the same way, the man with two earned two more. But the man who had received one talent went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. The man who had received five talents approached, presented five more talents and said, Master, you gave me five talents. See, I've earned five more talents. His master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Share your master's joy. The man with two talents also approached. He said, Master, you gave me two talents. See, I've earned two more talents. His master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Share your master's joy. The man who had received one talent also approached and said, Master, I know you. You're a harsh man, reaping where you haven't sown and gathering where you haven't scattered seed. So I was afraid and went off and hid your talent in the ground. See, have what is yours. His master replied to him, you evil, lazy servant, if you knew that I reap where I haven't sown and gather where I haven't scattered, then you should have deposited my money with the bankers, and I would have received my money back with interest when I returned. So take the talent from him and give it to the one who has 10 talents. For everyone who has, sorry, for to everyone who has, more will be given, and he will have more than enough. But from the one who does not have even what he has will be taken away from him. And throw this good-for-nothing servant into the outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. A little bit scary or a little bit encouraging depending where you stand with that. Anyone taken any New Year's resolutions this year? Everyone given up on New Year's resolutions? Yeah. Well, even if you're not into New Year's resolutions, at the start of the year it's inevitable that we take stock of the year just gone uh, and think about our hopes and fears and plans for the year to come. And in Australia, of course, New Year corresponds with the school holidays, so everything's just moving at a different pace, especially the roads, praise God. I love the roads this time of year. And at this pace, for many of us, it's just natural to step back and and just out of the hustle and bustle and reflect. And so, in, in light of the new year, I wanted to take a moment to calibrate us, not only for the next 12 months, but actually for a longer perspective, the return of King Jesus. Longer perspective, or if we're lucky, not so long. Wouldn't it be amazing if Jesus returned in 2024. I'm okay with that. But whether short or long, today's reading is part of a group of parables that remind us to always be ready for Christ's return. So Jesus is carrying on from previous parables here uh, about the kingdom of God. And so he says the kingdom of God is like a man going on a journey. Now, for his first followers, this was probably a subtle hint that the kingdom of God is going to turn out a little differently than what they expected. They were expecting, they uh, were believing, uh, coming to believe he was Messiah and expecting the kingdom of God to be established in Israel now. And if you've been around church for a long time, you might be familiar with with the messianic expectation of the first century that Messiah was going to come, kick out the Romans, liberate Israel, and establish his reign. Jesus says, "Eh, it's not quite that timetable. They thought the kingdom was coming now, but it wasn't. It wasn't coming fully now. It was coming partially. But he was going away. Not forever, but for a long time. Now, in the previous parable, he told of 10 bridesmaids waiting for a bridegroom who was running late, and it was already dark when they went out to meet him, and five went out prepared. They had extra oil, so when the bridegroom arrived, they could just get up, go, take him to the wedding, and enjoy the wedding banquet. Five of those bridesmaids weren't ready, and they had to go off and look for extra oil and got locked out of the wedding feast. The story we're looking at today isn't so much uh, about being ready and making sure we're always prepared, like the story of the bridesmaids. It's more about what we do in the intervening time and how we use our time and what God has given us while we wait for Jesus. And so in this story, the man gives each of his servants a responsibility while he's away, as it turns out in this story, a large sum of money. Um, A talent was a measure of weight in the ancient world, and when it comes to currency, it could could have been gold, silver, or copper. uh, That was given out. Scholars seem to think it was probably silver, so let's assume silver. That means one talent alone could have been worth hundreds of thousands of dollars in today's money. But that's not really the point that Jesus is making in the parable. The point is that the master gave each of his servants a responsibility and he gave that responsibility of managing his assets while he was away according to their ability. And it seems that his judgment of each of his servants was pretty well founded. The servant who the owner evidently thought, had the greatest capacity, he gives five talents to, the man goes away. Immediately, the Bible says, he's very diligent, gets to work, seems eager to prove himself. The man with two talents isn't too far behind. But then there's this third guy. What is with his attitude? I mean, we discover that he has a really negative view of his master, he considers him to be a hard man, even exploitative. And we'll discover in the master's estimation, he's also lazy. So when the master eventually returns, he finds two of his servants have done very well, living up to his expectations. Both had doubled his master's money and both received the same commendation. Well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things, I will put you in charge of many things. Share your master's joy. Isn't it interesting? Do you see how the reward doesn't seem to be commensurate with their ability, but with their faithfulness? Although they evidently had different capacities, they had different returns, they were both equally faithful with what they'd been given. And so they received the master's blessing. Last guy, on the other hand, not so much. Seems like he didn't even have to try all that hard. Just put the money on deposit. Give me something here. Now, in those days, putting your money on deposit was actually still pretty risky. You didn't have government guarantees on the banks or anything like that but it would have been something at least. In fact, I almost get the impression that if this guy had failed, but had at least tried, that would have been okay. But he didn't do anything. And as a result, he loses his job. And in fact, his view of his master being a hard man becomes something of a self-fulfilling prophecy. Because what have we seen of the master so far? He's actually very trusting. He entrusts his servants with a vast sum of money. He rewards them generously when they come back to him with what they've done. But this guy, suddenly we see the hardness of the master. Jesus describes the sacking of this servant in language, language that's ominously similar to the language of hell. In other places we hear of hell being place of outer darkness where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. Weeping in the Bible is a weeping that comes from regret and sorrow. And gnashing of teeth is is anger and resentment. For to everyone who has more, more will be given. It's a surprising twist that the owner then gives the lazy servant's talent to the one who has the most? Now, uh, I don't know how that triggers your brain in 21st century Australia. I don't know if it seems very fair. Shouldn't we give someone else a chance? What about the guy who only had two talents? I mean, he proved himself. Maybe you should have given him a chance to step up more. In fact, look, Matthew doesn't make such a big deal of this, but the other gospels do. It's like, what? What are you doing, Master? We live in a society where some people believe we should aim for equity. So the idea of equity versus equality is that everyone gets the same chance. Equity is that everyone has the same outcome. And so we try to engineer that. So, for example, my girls, when they were young, they're grown up now, they did calisthenics, and you've probably done this. Everyone gets a participation trophy. You know what? Those trophies don't mean very much. And we all know that in life, not everyone gets a participation trophy. But so here's one of the things with the kingdom of God, though. Uh, in other places, Jesus talks about the abundant grace that is in the kingdom of God. So in another place, he talks about an owner who sent out workers into his vineyard. Some went out in the morning, some midday, some late in the day. He comes back, finds them just, why are you still standing around in the market square? He's like, well, no one's employed us. So go out, and they go out. And he pays everyone the same. And that's a parable about the abundant grace in the kingdom of God. But Jesus was making a different point in that parable. It was a story about the inversion of power and status in the kingdom of God. In our society, in every society, do you know what one of the greatest indicators of success is? of what your income will be, to your parents are, what your address is. Not so in the kingdom of God. In the kingdom of God, a slave can become a bishop. The kingdom of God elevates people. And this is what Jesus is talking about in that parable. What qualified the servants in the parable we're reading today was not the opportunity they were given so much, but, or the status they had, but their faithfulness in executing whatever they had. So even if one didn't have so much, we're still faithful in administering that. And so what determines our success, if you like, in inverted commas, in God's kingdom is not our status or ability, and this is part of the grace of the kingdom. It's our faithfulness and devotion to God over the long haul. It's remaining faithful to God with the assignment that He has given you. Whether that's big or small, whether He's taken, gone for 2,000 years and counting, or returns sooner. So, where do we fit into the picture at the beginning of 2024? Well, as we look out, we see something of a fraught international outlook and we see economic uncertainty, um, the housing crisis, cost of living, exceeding income, all that sort of stuff. But you know what? It's still in Australia. We've got it pretty good. Life more or less goes on as it always has. But let's not be lulled into apathy and let's not let the stresses of life overwhelm us Because Jesus is coming again. That's the point of this parable. Jesus was saying, I'm going away, but I'm coming again. Be ready, be faithful. And I'm challenged in the light of this to remember, to lift my hopes and my dreams just above what's happening in 2024. Above the fears, above the plans, and to have a greater vision for God's kingdom. Now, it's not so much that we shouldn't have hopes and plans and dreams and be taking steps to um, work on our our business, our jobs, our studies, whatever it is this year, but that our hopes are fixed on God's kingdom and that our plans are made in the light of that, in that context. In James uh, chapter 4, verse 13 to 16, uh, James writes, "'Come now, you who say, "'today or tomorrow we will travel to such and such a city "'and spend a year there and do business and make a profit. "'Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring, "'what your life will be, "'for you are like vapour that appears for a little while "'then vanishes. "'Instead,' you should say, "'if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. "'But as it is, you'll boast, you boast in arrogance. "'All such boasting is evil.'" And so the question for me, and I want to put to you at the beginning of 2024, is are you seeking the Lord's will for this year as you make plans or anticipate what's going to happen in this year? Do you have a vision for the kingdom of God in your life? Do you have a vision for the kingdom of God in your family, for those of you in families, your university, your work, even your hobbies. Now for some people maybe that's a strange question. Don't you pay Fletcher and myself to do all the kingdom of God stuff? Well, actually it's not so strange. You are also the servants in this parable, not just those of us who are professional at this. The Father has entrusted each of us with different responsibilities in his kingdom. He's and trusted us according to our abilities and opportunities. Remember, the servants only had to work with what the master had given them, not what he hadn't given them. And so the question I want to ask this morning is, what has the father given you? When God called Moses, he said to him, what's in your hand? All he had is, in his hand was a wooden staff. There's an ordinary shepherd's staff. But God used that staff to pour out 10 plagues on Egypt, to part the Red Sea, and to do much more. And Moses didn't have to do much in all that time. He just sort of had to wave it around and say, the Lord thus says, and God did things. What do you have in your hand that you can be faithful with? Well, maybe you think, oh, I don't have much. I don't have much time. I'm a mom or I'm a dad. Well, so God's entrusted you with a family. And that's actually pretty big. How can you disciple your partner and your children? How can you tend that deposit and make it grow? Well, maybe some of you think, oh, I can't do much. I'm just a student. Well, God's entrusting you with education. Maybe a student community. Maybe he's entrusting you with opportunities beyond just having a career and setting yourself up in the future in ways you haven't considered yet. Mission work or community development. nonprofit work or something like that. Whether he has or whether it's business or what your plan is, how can you tend to that deposit and make it grow for his service and his glory? Maybe some of you think, well, not much, I'm retired. That's what passed me by. Well, so some of you who retired maybe have time. Now, I know. Sometimes when you retire, you get even busier. <laughs> I have observed this. But your retirement, how can you tend it for the kingdom of God? Maybe you think, not much, I've got poor health. I can't preach or teach or lead a group. I can't do much. Or a thousand other things you cannot do. This isn't about what you cannot do. This isn't even about doing big things. You will not be judged for what you do not have. In terms of, I don't have anything. Well, you didn't do anything with nothing you had. That kind of doesn't matter. What do you have? Maybe it's small. Maybe you're the guy with two talents or one talent. Don't bury it in the backyard. Do something with it. What do you have? Can you just pray for someone? Can you encourage someone? And if you're still not sure, let me suggest this, that if you are a believer, you have Jesus. Or maybe it's that Jesus has you. That's probably more the point. What can we do when Jesus has us and we let him really have our hearts? Maybe you just don't know. That's okay too. It's, It's good being in that place where we're honest with ourselves and honest with God. If you're not sure what it is in your hand, If you're not sure what it is, what your place is in relation to the kingdom of God, New Year is a really good time to reflect and think about it. Maybe do some journaling or something. Take stock and start anew in this new year. Friends, whether it's a short time or long, Jesus is coming again. And if Jesus doesn't come, we'll go to meet him. What has he entrusted you with? How will you be a faithful servant so that short time or long you can hear his well done, good and faithful servant? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the grace of the kingdom. That you don't call us necessarily to do great things. I know that Some people are called to that. But for most of us, it just seems very ordinary. Lord, we can underrate what we have, who we are, what we can achieve. Maybe that even doesn't matter. Father, we want to fix our eyes on you and what you have given us, what you are calling us to do. And whether that's a big thing or a small thing, Lord, just help us to be faithful. Lord, we want to hear you say on that final day, well done, good and faithful servant. Make us good and faithful servants. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.